Welcome to A Handful of Hope, where we bring you heart-to-heart conversations with heart-centered people. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of A Handful of Hope. I am so happy and grateful to have Mike Cameron with us today, who's a Canadian author, speaker, philanthropist, and advocate against gender-based violence. As a sales and leadership authority, Mike has studied the impact that emotion has on human behavior for over two decades. After his girlfriend was murdered by an ex-boyfriend in 2015, Mike turned his expertise to lend his voice to help eradicate violence against women. He has designed programs to assist men to tap into their emotions in a real, authentic way. His 2017 TEDx, The Way Men Think of Strong is Wrong, urges society to help redefine what it means to be a badass. Mike coaches men to use his SOAR framework to reconnect with their passions and purpose in life. He's the founder of Connected Men, an organization designed to create a safe space for men to practice emotional fitness. He's a co-founder of the Ignore No More Run for Respect, an event designed to raise awareness around gender-based violence and specifically engage men and boys in the conversation. His keynotes addressing the importance of emotional intelligence have been heard all across North America. Cameron is also the founder and managing partner of Axiom Mortgage, one of Canada's largest independent brokerage firms. He has worked with a variety of nonprofits and charities to pave the way for a violence-free future. He is currently an active ambassador for Gems for Gems, a registered charity that empowers and educates survivors of abuse. Mike, welcome, and thank you so very much for being here. Hey, thanks, Jesse. Thanks for having me, man. That's, that's, that's a mouthful. It is that a mouthful, mouthful, but dude, it's, it's impressive. Well, you know what? And I have to, I, I forgot that I, I don't think I sent you the up-to-date bio. So when you said I'm currently the founder of, I actually sold that business in December of 2019. So I am no longer running that business. It's, I, uh, I sold it. I, I walked away. I'm out. I'm done. But Mike, I think that's so cool because part of your selling with it, right, has been able to free up your time to really lean into these other endeavors that are pulling at your heart. So maybe we can just start there with that is, is how does one, you are at the top of your game, top of the mountain. I read your book, which we'll, we'll talk more about this in a minute, Becoming a Better Man. And what's so cool with it is because you had worked so hard to build this. You saw an opportunity in the industry where you could create something better, create more opportunity for others. You build this into what it became, and then you sell it to be able to walk away from it now and focus your energy onto these other, these other endeavors that are really passionate and meaningful to you. So maybe we can start there. Is how did you begin to make that choice and being able to separate yourself? Because I think a lot of people, especially men, their identity is deeply tied into their occupation, right? It is deeply tied into who they are. And especially as we start to achieve and climb that, you know, proverbial ladder, Mm -hmm. it can become this really emotionally intoxicating cocktail of what it means to be a success and what it means to be a man. So I'm wondering, maybe we could just start exploring that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, there's so many different directions we could go there. I mean, for me, what I realized for me is is I don't particularly love the business or a business. What I love is I love building things. Hmm. So doesn't necessarily matter what it was. You know what it was. I've worked with a number of nonprofits. I've created a number of different uh, organizations. Um, you know I've built a couple of different businesses. 
uh, and what I realized I'm passionate about, I'm passionate about building things and I'm building, passionate about building things that make an impact, that actually have the opportunity to change lives, which, you know, I did in a business context for a very long time. And then, yeah, when Colleen was, was murdered, um, you, you know, you kind of shift. I mean, I had been already sort of exploring um, who do I want to be more than what I want to have or what I want to accomplish. And, and that had already shifted for me um, to start exploring that, who do I want to be rather than, you know, what do I want to accomplish? Mm. And, and then, of course, in, in 2015, when, when Colleen was taken, it, it made me, again, just sort of accelerate that, those learnings, that realization that, you know, and I, I talk about this in the book. I mean, they can take away what you have, but they can never take away who you are. So focus on becoming more, not having more. So ultimately, and, you know, with respect to Axiom Mortgage, the, my primary business, um, I didn't want to make a, a sort of quick decision based on that emotional space I was sitting in after Colleen was killed. Uh, so, so I stuck it out for a number of years after that, but just realized that, you know, as you said, like my passion just wasn't there anymore. And, and I built that again, where I got excited was going from, you know, I had a 750 square foot office uh, by myself. I eventually hired an assistant and then ultimately, you know, we ended up with four or 500 mortgage agents across the country, 26 different licensees, franchises across the country. So, you know, that was for me, the journey was, the fun part, less so the destination. And then, yeah, as you said, I mean, my priorities started to shift after that. And, and I realized that, you know, where can I significantly contribute to the world? And that's one of the things I, I talk about often is moving from success to significance. Mm. And that became more of a priority for me you know certainly we could have done more with the the business and 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 the fellow that that bought me out i mean he's going to continue to grow and and build that business and there's still lots of opportunity there but it just wasn't something i could get continue to be excited about so so yeah you know it's, it's easy to get these golden handcuffs and, and for me that was the hard part um i got to a point where I didn't have to work that hard. You know, it was kind of that, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with Zig Ziglar's and the, the, the pump. I mean, I'd been pumping that well hard for a lot of years. And so we were now at the point where it was just that nice, slow, easy pressure, keeping that thing going and keeping that water flow going. So to walk away from that was a challenge because I had a good income. I had a very good income coming in. It was relatively stable. And, but I, but I realized, you know, it's, it's that sort of old Viking tradition. Sometimes you got to burn the boats at the shore. Um, and for me, that's kind of what, what selling the business was. Yeah. It, it gave me a bit of a nest egg. Um, but it was really the, the burning the boats at the shore kind of thing that, that was going to force me. And of course that was the best decision I ever made to go off into a world of public professional speaking uh, full time, right, right around uh, COVID time. So that, <laughs> yeah. that's worked out really, really well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We should have talked about that before March. <laughs> yes. I, I love your Zig Ziglar impression, by the way, too. I think you, I think you nailed it. Mike, let's talk a little bit about, men in vulnerability 
because you, you said something that I find utterly fascinating. I, I've shared with you that I've done a lot of work in the grief space and have spoken quite a bit about it. One of the things that is incredibly fascinating with humans, but I'll say for men specifically, because I see men doing this more so than probably women do, is men, when they start to feel so deeply, it literally is like the, oh shit, panic button comes up. And rather than going within like you did, they go more almost externally. And so it's like they, they will often lean even harder into work. They will lean even harder to this familiarity thing that they have because they feel, you know, and this could be conditioning. There's lots of reasons, but they feel so much like maybe the fabric of what it means to be a man now is being threatened because they feel so deeply. They feel like they don't have control. They don't have power. They don't have stability. They don't have, and then they're, they're hurting so much inside. And I think that most men in a circumstance similar to you would not have had the, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, so please correct this, but the foresight to be able to look within, to be able to say like, you know, how do I make this evolution from, from, success to significance how do i literally look at this thing that is it's it's fun to build and it's cool and stuff but i'm not really passionate about it and it's time to go and lean into finding what that is how did you develop that wherewithal to do that and how can men be able to go and explore that for themselves well first off i mean the, the number one thing that i think it takes to do that is courage so part of it's a little bit of reframing because I think if you talk to men about what values are important to them, I think most guys would say, I want to be courageous. I want to be seen as courageous. Courage is high on my list of values. So if you can reframe it, and for me, that's what I realized. And I, and I had to do that because for a lot of years, I did exactly what you, you talked about. Like I threw myself into the into work. It's, it's why I'm not married anymore. Um, you know, you find these ways of what I call emotional suppression or, or numbing, um, you know, for some it's substance abuse, uh, for some it's, it's, you know, more socially acceptable, it's, it's workaholism. Um, so for me, that's what it was. I threw myself hard into my work and I became successful and I got patted on the back. Way to go, Mike, way to go, Mike. But really I, I was avoiding a lot of the shit that was going on at home that I just didn't want to deal with. So, you know, when my marriage fell apart and I realized that wasn't what I wanted, I started looking inward. I, I picked up yoga and meditation and, and really started going down that sort of self-discovery path uh, even deeper. I mean, I, I, I think I picked up my first Tony Robbins book when I was 18, Unleash the Power Within was kind of the first motivational self-help book I ever read. And so I, I did start down that journey very early on. But really, it, it, was, it was when the, the separation came and I, I really started looking inwards and finding that courage to really look in the mirror. You know, one of the most courageous things we can do is just drop that mask of who we think the world wants us to be mm. and really step into who we are. And, and for me, that was a, that was a revelation. You know, I, I, like I said, I, I've pursued personal development, self-help. I've pursued becoming the best version of Mike possible forever, but it was always about improvement. And what I realized is maybe it's less about becoming a better Mike and more about becoming more Mike. 
and it's not about adding things. It's about shedding things, shedding that mask and really being able to show up in a real and authentic and true way. And the day after Colleen was killed, I'm taking the long route to get to the answer to your question, but the day after Colleen was killed, I had a friend, uh, a yogi friend out of Montreal share with me uh, Ramdas's letter to Rachel. And, and in that letter, it's, it's very short and it's well worth the read. Uh, Ramdas was an American spiritual leader from the 70s. He wrote the book, Be Here Now. Um, but in that letter, there were, there were kind of three key takeaways for me. And the first, he said, who, who among us is strong enough to remain conscious through such teachings as you are receiving? Probably very few. And when I read that, I just thought, you know, all the work that I've done my entire life has taken me to this spot, whether I like it or not, it's a fact, I'm here. I, it's a fact. I can't avoid where I'm at. And based on, and in particular, you know, some of the, the discovery that, that Colleen and I did together, you know, we were kind of both at a, at a point where, you know, we were mid-40s and, and really just exploring who we were and, and who we wanted to be. So when I read that, you know, who of us is strong enough to remain conscious through such teachings as you are receiving? Probably very few. And I made the very conscious decision that I was going to stay awake through this experience. Hmm. Like this, this is an experience that very few are ever afforded. Very few individuals will have that opportunity to have that depth of emotion, that depth of feeling that I've been given. And who the fuck am I to squander that? And how does that honor her if I bury myself in a bottle or I bury myself in my work and I don't actually stay open to these things that are coming up? And the second piece in his letter, he, he said, now is the time to let your grief find expression. No false strength for your grief is Rachel's legacy to you. So, so sorry, this, to back up, this letter was written to the parents of a young girl who had been brutally murdered. So this was Ramdas writing to the parents of, of a young woman that, that had been killed. Um, so again, the, the context of it was, was perfect. Uh, and that last piece that he talked about that really spoke to me was, our rational minds will never understand what has happened, but our hearts, if we keep them open, will find their own intuitive way. And, and I can't tell you how many times I said, you know, why, 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 why did this have to happen? Why to her? Why now? Why, 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 why? And as you well know, there's just, there is no explanation. There's no logical, there's no rational answer but our hearts, if we keep them open, we'll find their own intuitive way. So for me, it was really about finding the courage, something that I value deeply. You know, I, I run 100 mile ultra marathons. I pride myself on being tough, on being courageous. It would not have been very courageous to throw myself into work, to bury myself in a bottle, um, you know, to do any number of the other things that I could have done. Uh, what took courage was to actually sit there and feel those feelings that were coming up as nasty as they were. 
but what I realized was the more intensely I feel that pain, the flip side is the more intensely I feel joy when it shows up. And just being able to practice in those opportunities when life throws shit at you, it just, for me, it's the difference between living in black and white and 4K high def color. And, you know, I would much rather live that full colored version of life than living a life of black and white. And, you know, that sort of slow and steady where we numb the crap out of, out of everything. Um, because you, you can't, you can't numb the lows without also numbing the highs. And when you take the time and effort to experience the lows as nasty as they are, it just makes those highs so much more rich, so much more colorful. And, you know, for me, that's mostly it was, again, who am I to squander this experience, this gift? <sighs> I choke up saying it. Who am I to squander this gift that she's given me? And it feels horrible to say that. But if I don't, if I don't embrace this, then, then it's just a waste. It's just an absolute waste. And I don't want this to be a waste. I appreciate you sharing that, Mike. You know, it, reading, going through and reading your book, one of the things I found, or I observed, I should say, while reading it was, it was interesting hearing you recount the early years of life and hearing you describe the journey and adding an emotion through it mm. because it has this almost, you know, kind of observational piece of the guy looking back over his life and kind of laughing at the good times and thinking, God, what a moron I was back then, <laughs> you know, those kinds of things. And it's, and it's great from an observational perspective but it didn't have the depth that it had until Colleen came into the picture. Right. And what was really fascinating is in the book, at least for me as a reader, I experienced is I experienced this whole new space of you. And it was, it was as the relationship opened you up, but more so it was the relationship. I think after she was taken it opened you up even more, it seemed, as a person. And it, it went from being this kind of the voice of this guy looking back and going, gosh, you know, what that expression that we have, young and dumb, to now, yeah. there's almost like this, this sage-like kind of looking and, and being much more of a seeker with that. And I remember one of our early conversations, you and I were chatting, and I said to you, and it was so funny because I never, ever say this, but I said to you, I'm so sorry for your loss. And even as I said that, I could feel myself going, why, why are you saying that? You never say that. It sounds so weird. And I don't say it specifically for that reason, because I feel like when I'm, when I'm saying I'm sorry, I'm almost excusing myself from having to make myself available to go through the, the messy stuff. Yes. But I'm also then discounting, I feel like, to the person, 
they're opportunity to learn and gifts because if it's sorry, it, it's almost like, man, I'm so sorry you lost the game. Right. I'm right. so, yes. I'm so sorry you didn't score that point. It's kind of like saying, well, shoot, it would be so much better if you would have scored the point. It'd been so much better if you would have won the game. And it's not to say that we don't, we, we, we want people that we care about to be taken from us or pass away. But it, it speaks directly to that honor piece that you're talking about that I, I'm a big believer in how we choose to live after someone we love is gone is how we choose to honor them. And if our framework for honoring someone is foundationally built on sorries, mm. I think that inevitably will lead to more struggle for people beyond that. And when I said that, I'm so sorry, you stopped me and you said, no, no. And basically said, I'm not sorry because of the gifts. And I'm wondering, you know, you've already kind of touched on this, but maybe we can expand a little bit more with it. As you start to lean in to that exploration of keeping your heart open after Colleen was killed, what were some of the gifts that started to make their presence known in that time afterwards? And again, I, I think it was really just the, the, the depth of, of feeling, you know, I mean, there, there, there's sort of a spectrum of emotion and, and we know it, right? We, we find a penny. Hey, well, that's great. That's exciting. We win the lottery. Well, that's a different level of excitement, a different level of emotion. So this really just gave me the opportunity to experience uh, or practice experiencing at such a deep level. And, and the gifts that that has opened up is this richness of experience of life that there is no way I would have otherwise have had. You know, I was, I was out yesterday actually for a, for a coffee with, with some friends who we do some work together in the violence prevention space. And this is a young couple who are musicians and we went to their, their music concert, um, I don't know, it was probably six, eight months ago now, uh, maybe even more than that, given COVID. But uh, I took um, my partner, Michelle, and two other couples, and we went to this concert. And they're just incredible musicians with incredible stories. So Alexander, the husband, he's got his own story of trauma, childhood sexual abuse that he talks about through music. And so he shares his story from stage. And the music is just so beautiful, but I can feel it now. Like it's, it's the richness of experience sitting with my partner, Michelle, uh, who we've been together three years now. So maybe two and a half at the time. Um, and, and some close friends and just the level of connection the depth of experience, the depth and breadth of experience that has brought is something I never, ever would have had. I never would have had, you know, again, I've been to lots of concerts. I enjoy music. I enjoy music a lot, but yeah, to be able to feel it like that and to be able to, you know, to be able to, so it's one thing to be able to see a sunrise, but how many of us, actually ever feel a sunrise and when you can start to practice feeling things like a sunrise or even you know michelle brought this up i ran the terrawera 100 miler down in new zealand in february for my for my birthday 
and I got really sick. I got stomach flu, so I had to pull the plug at 50 miles. So, you know, these are races that I've trained an entire year for. We flew to New Zealand to do, so this was a big, big thing, and I had to pull the plug halfway through. And rather than get angry and upset, I mean, I, I was incredibly disappointed. And I remember Michelle coming up to me on the beach the day after and just putting her arm around me. And she says, what are you doing? And I said, you know what? I'm just enjoying the disappointment. Hmm. I'm just sitting with it. I'm absorbing it. I'm observing it. I'm getting curious about it. And that just blew her away. And I mean, frankly, it blows me away too, that I can sit with that Again, it, it, it's pretty freaking disappointing. When, you know, we traveled halfway around the world to run a race that I've been training an entire year, and I get a flu bug 36 hours before the race, and, and I have to quit. But just being able to sit with that experience, not judge it, not get annoyed by it, but just observe it and see what can I take from this? What can I learn from this? Um, because life is going to throw you disappointments. And again, for me, it's part of the other thing I've learned is that, as I said, you know, everything in my life had prepared me for that moment. Mm. So when we can start to take the moments we have control over uh, and use those as opportunities to practice, and I often use, you know, the, the, the frustration of rush hour traffic. You know, if you're driving in rough, rush hour traffic, somebody cuts you off and you want to shake your fist and yell at them and asshole, what are you doing? So if you can take that as an opportunity to practice, like let's just take a pause, take a breath, slow down, practice some empathy. Maybe they're having a really shitty, maybe they're having a shittier day than you. Maybe their partner's in the hospital. They have to get somewhere quick. Who, right? Who knows? Yeah. But we can start to practice that empathy piece and control and get curious about, okay, well, why is that pissing me off so bad? I mean, really, it's, it's going to cost me 30 seconds between here and my destination. Why is that so frustrating to me? And when we can start to do that regularly, um, then that's, that prepares us for those big moments you know, when we lose somebody, when we don't get that job we were really hoping for, when we get fired, when we get laid off, when, you know, when crisis comes, when we prepare in the calm for the coming of the storm, you know, that really, that's, that's been a profound learning for me. And that's probably the biggest gift that she's given me is to realize that we, that all of these little things are opportunities and opportunities to practice. And if we can, if we can look at them that way, and you know, the harder, the bigger the calamity, the bigger the crisis, the harder it becomes to look at them that way. But if we can, again, I, 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 I can't change what happened to her. If I could, I would, but I can't. And, and so now who am I to waste that opportunity? You know, Mike, I appreciate the music example you just shared. And I think it beautifully illustrates what you're getting at in terms of the depth of feeling and, you know, um, if emotion is really life, like we're playing this game of life for emotion to up-level our experiences. You had a story in your book about going to a concert with a friend. And I think it was like a, some hard rock, heavy metal kind of concert or something like that. And you talked about charging in there and 
you're you're in there in the mosh pit you get lose sight of your friend you're having the you know what we would stereotype as the ultimate concert experience right you come out you're drenched with sweat you had an amazing time you're you're bruised but full of like just life and you can't find your friends so you you guys are going to meet up later on and to contrast that with the story you just told about feeling music at such a deep and intimate level that you're surrounding yourself with these storytellers who are telling their trauma story through their music and that you might not be going mosh pitting the experience, but you're feeling it in what sounds like an even deeper and more profound way than it was. And I think that speaks beautifully to kind of the evolution you're talking about of allowing yourself that greater depth of feel. Mm-hmm. You know, I know for me that gosh, there was most of my life that when I would go into a movie and I would feel compelled to cry, I would sit there and take the deep breath, fake yawn, try to stifle it because it was, you know, I didn't want to seem like a wuss or whatever it was to cry. And what I realized is I was robbing myself of these emotional experiences. You know, I was robbing myself of being able to feel, I was robbing myself of being able to allow and acknowledge what, what is, what is deeply meaningful to me and what, what can I feel at a deeper level? And I think that that's such a God, what a beautiful gift. Mm-hmm. That may be one of the most beautiful, not the most beautiful gifts I can imagine one human being can impact on us. And I think maybe we can shift, we can shift gears just really quickly with the last few minutes. Actually, yeah, we'll shift gears to this. I want to talk to you a little bit about the violence. I read a quote from the Dalai Lama earlier today, and he was talking about how we cannot, the quest of essentially, and I'm paraphrasing, but it was essentially that it's futile almost trying to bring about world peace when we're not focusing on bringing about inner peace. Yes. And if we really want to, we really want to focus on bringing world peace, right? We have to focus on inner peace first. I'm wondering in your work now, what's what you're doing to try to work on eradicating violence against women and, and reducing violence. Is that a similar experience that you're coming into? Are you seeing like patterns play out where if people had resources of, developing inner well-being first that there'd be less need to have violent expression yeah without without question i mean that was one of the things that you know i as a successful business guy like i'm a doer i i make shit happen and so when colleen was killed i had a lot of people that wanted me to go after the justice system you know which certainly let her down she'd filed all the right paperwork had the right restraining order and I just thought, well, you know, if we talk about how do we build a better restraining order, we're really just talking about putting a Band-Aid on a ruptured jugular. Like we're, we're addressing the symptom, not the root cause. And so for me, it became much more about how do we prevent men like that from existing in the first place? And when I look back at my work over the last 25 years in sales and leadership, it's all been about how emotion impacts us. And, you know, as salespeople, we want to make more sales. We make a better emotional connection with our customer. And what I realized with the same held true here, the man that killed Colleen was a man that made a decision based on a very temporary emotion with very permanent consequences. So I created an organization called Connected Men, and it's really creating safe spaces for men to practice this emotional mastery or emotional reconnection. And what I say often is that emotionally connected men don't fucking kill people. 
Like emotionally connected men don't abuse their partners. Emotionally connected men don't take their own lives. <sighs> emotionally connected men make better fathers. They make better husbands. They make better partners. They make better human beings. They make better citizens. So yeah, if we want to get to violence prevention, I mean, we can, we can try and stop the behavior all we want, but unless we un address the underlying, you know, maybe it's trauma or, I mean, ultimately it's emotion, whether that emotion is caused by trauma um, or whether it's caused by, you know, who knows what, there's a myriad of other factors that, that make us feel the way we feel, but we make decisions as human beings, we make decisions based on emotion. And if we don't understand the underlying emotions that drive those decisions we make, we have zero chance of living a fully awakened existence. Mm -hmm. So yeah, absolutely. If, you know, and this, it, it's so funny because I work in so many spaces where they're trying to do all these little tweaks and things. And, and don't get me wrong. I mean, those things need to happen. Like we need to fix the justice system. We need to do all these other things. But at the root of it, if we can get guys connected with their inner self and comfortable with themselves, they're not lashing out at others. They're not lashing out at themselves. They're not hitting women. They're not killing women. They're not creating, you know, perpetrating acts of violence um, against other men, against other races. Again, it just, it's the root of so many problems you know, and where I started in sort of the violence prevention, you know, now I'm, I'm, I'm working with uh, CIS, the Center to End All Sexual Exploitation. Um, I'm, I'm working in the suicide prevention realm as well, because again, they all come back to that same sort of route, which gets me really excited. As you can tell, I light up because I really feel like, to your point, if we can get back to that root cause, that world peace doesn't happen until we have inner peace. Okay. So if we can create inner peace, then yeah. I mean, all of this other stuff goes away. So we don't need to worry about disarming nations. We don't need to worry about, you know, who's got their finger on the trigger, because if that person that has their finger on the trigger is emotionally connected or, or has inner peace, they're never going to use that. And we know that, and that's not a problem. So, yeah, absolutely. Let's spend more time focusing on that. There's Mike mentioned just just for everybody knows Mike's located up in Canada. Mm. I live in Southern California in the United States. Mike mentioned fixing the justice system in mm. the USA right now. We're talking a lot about fixing the justice system. I had a client in Europe not even two weeks ago message me talking about how they need to fix the justice system. The reason I mention that is because I think oftentimes many of the narratives are focused on that, right? We need to fix this. We need to fix this. system, We need to fix this. And what I appreciate so much about that share, well, not, I appreciate the entire share, but also bringing to attention that this isn't a unique thing, whether you're Canadian, American, European, wherever it is, this is, it, it's to the point that it's not a government solution to fix. It's a human issue. Yes. You know, yes. And it's also, I think it's a beautiful way to bring light to the fact that as much as we may, you know, oftentimes mainstream narratives focus on our differences and highlight what makes us different, you know, Canadian, American, European, how we do things differently, whatever it is. But when you really get past all that nonsense and smoke screens, you see that it's very much human beings just living one place or another. We just have different languages, different belief systems, maybe on the surface, but deep down, 
these are human issues. It's not a Canadian issue. It's not an American issue. It's not a European issue. It's a human piece. It's, it's human behavior that needs to be looked at, not so much the systems that we're using to govern behavior. But if we could, if we could attach the behavior, we could, if we could affect behavioral change, we don't need that Band-Aid for the jugular anymore. And I just, I think that's really worth noting. Mike, we're getting to that point I told you earlier where I said, selfishly, I would love to keep going on, but in, out of it, in time, integrity, respect for you and, and the listeners, watchers, I'll just ask you one final question. But before I do that, where can people find and connect with you online? Uh, MikeCameron.ca is probably the best bet. Uh, all my socials stem off of there. And I'm actually moving away from a lot of socials and we're building an online community right at MikeCameron.ca so that it can be focused and continue to be positive so we can get away from some of the crap that we see on the rest of uh, the social media feeds. But yeah, MikeCameron.ca is the best bet. And we'll have links and everything to all that on here too. Mike, you mentioned being a doer. And mm. I think there's a lot of people listening and watching right now that are doers too. I think it would be entirely appropriate or in a missed opportunity on both of our parts if we didn't send folks away with some sort of tangible action that they could take from all that you've shared today, mm -hmm. if you could invite the audience, the viewers, the listeners to take one action, one, one specific measurable action from today, of everything you shared, what action would you love for them to take? Slow down, hmm. which may seem counterintuitive, but uh, I, so with the work I do, I use the acronym SOAR, slow down, open up, accept, and reconnect. But we underestimate the power of the pause. So yeah, if you're going to take away any one thing from this conversation, it's practice the pause. Take that breath. When that guy cuts you off in traffic, practice the pause. When you're getting worked up at a business meeting, and, and, and this works in business too. And what I've started doing with my business meetings is I will often do a 30 to 60 second, almost meditation at the beginning. I'll never call it a meditation, but we'll start by slowing down because there's a number of things that does, right? It brings everybody right here, right now. We're focused. I did a keynote earlier this month to, I think we were in 46 different countries. It was a virtual online event. And I started with maybe three minutes of slowing down and just bringing everybody in. So yeah, I think the most powerful thing you can do is practice that pause and slow down because then you'll start to notice things. And as Eckhart Tolle says, with awareness comes choice but we're not aware if we're moving at a hundred miles an hour all the time. And don't get me wrong. There are, there are times where we hustle and there's times where we, we work, but for most people, that's not the problem. The bigger challenge is, is slowing down and practicing that pause. And again, as a runner, I could talk for hours on this, but as a runner, you know, my long, slow runs on Sunday, I run at a very slow pace and it's challenging to run that slow. But by running that slow allows me to build my cardiovascular system mm -hmm. so that come race day, I can run faster. So sometimes you got to run slow so that you can eventually run faster. And the same holds true in life. Everyone, 
wow, is this one you're going to want to rewatch and re-listen. Mike took us on such an incredible journey today that had all sorts of twists and turns and, and golden nuggets of wisdom that I hope that you really, if you haven't taken notes this first time through, you're going to go back and do so because not only did he give us some great insights, but he gave us some great tangibles and applicables. <clears throat> we started off talking about the notion of success to significance and about how Mike realized that he was in a, he was in a building a career, building a business that he liked, but he didn't love. And that life was affording him opportunity to really get away from that and lean into and discover what he's truly passionate and purposeful about. And on paper, it looks like it was a completely different shift, but it's something that really lights him up. And you got to see that in real time as he began to talk about it later on. We talked about emotional depth, allowing ourselves to go deeper, especially as men, right? We often live, and I think women do too, but men were especially guilty of this. We're taught and conditioned to live so much of our life on the surface that it's not manly, it's, it's weak to overly express, to feel deeply. And Mike encouraged us to redefine that, to reframe it and look at courage and how most men wanna be courageous and it takes courage to go deeper. It takes courage to open ourselves up. It takes courage to allow ourselves to be vulnerable and feel. Vulnerability and feeling. Man, does that seem to be a recurring theme through some of these really powerful conversations. And I love that Mike allowed us to see that intimate part of his life where his girlfriend was taken from him and not focus on what he lost, but the gifts he gained. The gifts he gained that allow him to feel and to go to deeper levels than he'd ever been to before. The gifts that he has allowed him to sit in his presence, the presence with us, and for us all to feel those special moments that he shared with us. Did you notice that when he felt, he talked about depth and going deeper and the gifts that came from it, you felt that. You didn't just hear him. You didn't just see him. You felt it. And you could see that that is truly a way that he's living and honoring. <clears throat> he's honoring now by taking those gifts and allowing them to become a part of his purpose and his unique mission in life. That when he's going and listening to music, he's evolved from being that guy that goes and crashes the mosh pit. Not to say he still might not do that, but to being the person, <laughs> he probably does, yeah. But to being oh. the person now who's allowing himself to feel and connect to things at a much deeper level. He's not just feeling the music and the energy of the music. He's feeling the story and the journey behind it. Gosh, what a beautiful way that would be if life is really about emotion and emotional experience and allowing ourselves to deepen our emotion. Perhaps we could start to allow ourselves to examine some of the struggles, some of the challenges in our life. And instead of looking at what we've lost, we can start to ask, what have I gained? What are the gifts that have been given to me from this? What are the gifts that I haven't seen? Many of us have had that experience before on a Christmas morning or a birthday, maybe where there was a present that got stuck behind or hidden behind the tree. And we didn't see it maybe for a few days or a few weeks. And all of a sudden we, when we uncovered it, it became all the more special, and all the more meaningful because of the surprise of it because it was something that we never saw before. And I imagine that each of us in life right now, the struggles of our life have left many of us with quite a few gifts, a plethora maybe of them, but we have yet to see them because we haven't allowed ourselves to go deep enough to feel out the way to find them. Going deeper, that became a recurring theme through all of this. And part of the way to go deeper is as Mike shared with us, the one thing he would love for us all to do today, it's to slow down. Yeah. To take that time to slow down to be present, which seems so counterintuitive to the world we live in, where everything is on demand and we have notifications beeping and buzzing nonstop, that when we're accustomed to going to business meetings and it's three of people that we're supposed to meet, we get a place setting for six because it's the three of us plus the three of our phones. 
face side up, we're looking for the device to buzz and beep so we can tune into whatever's going in and effectively tune out with the people we do. And we don't just do that to our business meetings too. We're often the most guilty of doing this with the people we claim to love the most, our family and friends. Slow down, my friends. Slow down and take a moment, maybe even two or three today, and really sit on what Mike shared. Slow down and look for your gifts. Mike, speaking of gifts, this has been an absolute incredible gift that you've given us today, man. I appreciate so much your time, your journey, your presence, and just how, how you're showing up, but who you're showing up as now in the world. It's a real honor to know you, and I'm so grateful for this time today. Thank you. Thanks. My pleasure, Jesse. It's been, uh, it's been wonderful to cross paths with you as well. I feel like there's, I, th I feel like there's lots of good yet to come. I do too, man. We have, we have some brainstorming to do. I'm going to mention a couple of things to you right after this. <laughs> All right, everybody. We'll see you next time on another edition of A Handful of Hope. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you're finding value in these conversations, please rate and review on Apple, Google, Stitcher, or wherever your favorite place is to listen to